0: And welcome to the 2020 season of the Business Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adila Afiz, the global business whisperer, and I'm so excited you're here today. The Business Whisperer Podcast is about helping you tap into the brilliance and ability that you have to create your life and your business intuitively, authentically, and successfully each week we bring you tools tips information and guest interviews to help you do just that so if you are ready to download some of this business whispering magic into your life and business stay tuned because you're in the right place Hello, Business Whisperers, and welcome to today's Loved Up episode of the Business Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adila Afiz, and today we are speaking with Nicole Gibson, who is the founder of a movement called Love Out Loud. Now, Nicole is known internationally as an award-winning social entrepreneur, but she prefers to be seen as an unstoppable messenger of love and human potential. She has impacted over 250,000 people worldwide with her unconventional models of community development and transformation. Currently, Nicole is the CEO of a global movement called Love Out Loud, and she is also an author, a speaker, a facilitator. And today in our conversation, you will hear us speak about not only all of these things and what she is creating all over the world to help people reach their potential, find their inner space and being of love and consciousness, but also how she is planning on reaching a critical mass point, how to reach enough people all over the world to create that tipping point where we are all heading towards unconditional love and consciousness. You're going to love this conversation. Stay tuned. Don't move. Let's get into it. It's so good to have you on. How are you doing today? Thank you so much.
1: It's a total, total pleasure. I'm doing great. Thank you.
0: And you are in LA right now.
1: Is that right? I'm not. A part of me wishes I was in LA right now, <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually on the Gold Coast. We just finished our retreat, which we run um, on the border of South Wales and, and Queensland in Australia, which is a very beautiful place. I'm still here.
0: Amazing. How, so much to talk about. I've read out your (laughs) bio. Can you tell us in your own words, first of all, who you are and what Love Out Loud is?
1: I'm Nicole. And Love Out Loud is the world's largest love-based movement with a very ambitious mission to engage 350 million people or critical mass, 4% of the global population, in the message of love by the end of 2020. How did you get
0: into creating this movement? Oh, what a question. <laughs> Where to begin? Just, Where, just, you know, in the short <laughs> few short minutes that we have for each question.
1: No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe give me some parameters and then I can, I feel like well, out
0: loud, there's so many ways to answer this question. You have quite a phenomenal background, don't you? From First of all, a lot of people may not know you from around the world. Tell us how old you are, what your background is, and how you kind of got from leaving high school to where you are now?
1: So I'm 26 now and it's definitely been a pretty huge adventure in the past past 10 years. I grew up between the UK and Australia. Always traveled a lot. Was a pretty different kid, I would say, hyper creative and didn't really understand the schooling system. I went to a lot of different schools, about 10 different schools in the that I was at school, um, but left a mainstream school when I was 14 to pursue performance and did that uh, three years full-time when most students would have been in their equivalent of, of high school. That was my high school equivalent. And through that time, really had so much opportunity and I sort of consider it the best and the worst years of my life. So much opportunity, so much creativity, but also no one was educating me on on how to deal, I guess, with with the pressures and the stresses that came with being a performer and wanting to pursue a life in in that way. And the impact that that had on my mental health was was quite critical. Cool. So in so in so many ways, it was quite a dark period. But I was pursuing what my dream was at the same time. And coming out of that, I had a lot of perspective. Long story short, around. I guess, priority is what was important, what I feel each human being needs to learn and understand in order to live a healthy and fulfilled life. Because what that experience really taught me was we can be given our wildest dreams on a silver platter, but if we don't love ourselves, if we don't believe we're deserving of it, it won't stick, which really commenced my journey into creating my first organization, which is a mental health charity based here in Australia with a very different approach to mental health the approach was all around community and building community and having the conversations that people were too afraid to have fundamentally which 10 years ago was was a pretty radical thing to be doing hey there might be cultural environmental reasons why we're experiencing a mental health epidemic it might all, it might not all just be biological and let's have a let's open up a conversation and embrace a deeper level of vulnerability, which was the approach, which was a pretty out there thing to be doing ten years ago. Before there was sort the of celebrities and I guess politicians and, and people speaking openly, awareness campaigns about mental health. This was before all of that.
0: And you and that took me like- on
1: wild adventures. <laughs>
0: And you would have been quite young as well. So here you are with this radical approach and talking about being vulnerable and looking at these major social impacts to mental health. And was that challenging? Was it hard to get people to take you seriously or get on board with what you were trying to do?
1: Yeah, I look back. It's funny. I look back now and I think surely that existed, but I think I was just so committed to the vision that... In a way, I was sort of like beautifully naive to that. I guess I had some awareness that it was there, but there was really the fire in me and my awareness around the importance of it through my own lived experience and realizing that I wasn't the only person who had felt those things. And really, I understood how preventable it is. The the pain might not be preventable, but the suffering is 100% preventable. And the isolation that I experienced was 100% preventable as well. And because I knew that on a very deep level in myself, yeah, my drive to want to give that to others was so there that even when people did show up with resistance or, or judgment or, I guess, negativity, I just used that as, as fuel to keep going, really.
0: Wow. And so what happened next?
1: <laughs> so the first major campaign we ran as a foundation. Actually, I enrolled in uni straight after I graduated from the Performance Academy and I was majoring in marketing consumer psychology. And I remember sitting in one of my first marketing lecturers, uh, my, my first marketing lecture, sorry. And they, in so many words, were saying, in order to motivate a consumer, you need to essentially sell them the idea that they're not whole and then introduce the idea that your product or your service will, will complete them in so many words. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was just the opposite of what I had come to really feel quite deeply and believe. And that was a massive wake up call as well. And I think kind of the exposure to what was being taught to students and the future generation became the decipher, the, the last factor of me wanting to pursue this um is part of of being a mental health advocate essentially. And I registered the foundation, and the first major project idea that I had was to travel to communities across Australia, schools in particular with a focus on schools, but also community groups and workplaces to open up a dialogue and not approach it with the intent of having an answer, but actually, creating a space where communities and individuals could feel safe enough to be all of themselves without needing to edit themselves.
0: Wow. And, you know, when you say it like that, when you hear it or see it in black and white, like that is what our world is kind of built on right now is all of these messages that we are receiving and kids are receiving it younger and younger because they're exposed to social media and everything younger and younger that they're not whole, they're not okay, they're not good enough just as they are and mm. it so goes against everything that you would think you would want to be feeding people around creating self-esteem and mental health and just wholeness.
1: Mm, totally. I think it wasn't even in, in the conversation up until recently around you know the importance and, of understanding these things and the impact that not considering these things has had. On the world today and I think that it's sort of undeniable now when you look at statistics in the West especially 80% of people um who you know who have actually admitted and I think this would actually be a higher statistic but 80% of people in the West have been reported to experience loneliness every day. Suicide's the biggest killer in under 45s in every Western country and a quarter of you know, Australians and a similar attack for Americans as well on some sort of emotionally regulating or antipsychotic or antidepressant drug. And those stats are just, you know, you can't deny that this is something that we really need to look at.
0: It really is an epidemic, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And yet it's a symptom. You know, I see it as a symptom of a much deeper root cause. It's not that 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 is the issue, that that's the manifestation of what the deeper challenges are, which is what Love Out Loud is really seeking to revolutionise and paint a different vision and a different way, you know, of of how we can relate to each other and how we can exist as as humanity.
0: Tell us about Love Out Loud.
1: Love Out Loud, as I said, is a movement. It started as a book that I wrote. And I wrote that book after working in in the mental health space for almost eight years and four years of that, I was a serving commissioner to the Australian federal government. So I was advising the prime minister and, and the health minister on how to spend budget, which was a very, I guess, high profile role, especially for someone my age. The gift in it was I got to really experience the spectrum of the issue, which was I was working with people in communities that had a population of like a hundred people all the way through to working in Parliament House and really everything in between in that time. I worked directly with hundreds of thousands of people over those years, sometimes running, you know, three, four workshops every single day. I was just on a mission. <laughs> and um, what I started to realise is we can tackle this bureaucratically and we can go deep into systems and There is change that can be effectuated in that way. But what I started to really notice is policy can change, but that doesn't mean attitudes change. Just because there are things that are illegal doesn't mean that there are not crimes. Just because we change things on a top level doesn't actually necessarily influence or translate to how we're showing up every single day as a human being. So I became very fascinated with that question. That became my curiosity. What does it actually take to shift someone internally What needs to happen in order for someone to feel inspired to actually change their behavior and their actions and their thinking and their relationship to their emotions and and their judgments of other people? What is that going to take? What became very clear to me was I don't believe that that change can happen purely through bureaucratic systems. It needs to happen in a far more humanistic way. And it needs to be demonstrated. What I started to notice working with a lot of those leaders was actually that vulnerability is not demonstrated. We would sit in meetings, you know, that where we were deciding where tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars were going to be spent in the field of mental health. And yet everyone was completely disconnected in the room. And to me, that was very obviously um, an insight into the lack of congruence and integrity and leadership. And yet no one else seemed to be seeing what I was seeing. And that that really propelled me to to want to approach this in a different way. And what the work taught me was there are these needs that we have that are that are uniform. And this was the beauty in um, working with such a diverse amount of people is I started to notice actually the fact that you want to be seen and heard and loved as a human being has nothing to do with your socioeconomic situation, it has nothing to do with your gender, it has nothing to do with your sexuality or your age or your level of education or what career you have. This is something that is universally relevant and it really needs to be the foundations in which everything else grows. Unless we feel acknowledged and we feel safe and we feel appreciated as a human being, you know, we can put anything on top of those broken foundations but it won't mean anything until those foundations are really congruent and, and solid. And it seems like it should be common sense. And yet it, it's not common practice. So my thinking behind the book was how do I make this accessible? How do I make this relatable? How, I, how do I make this so f- fucking simple, excuse my French, that every single person can adopt it no matter where, you know, no matter where they're from or who they are.
0: And was that um, book that you wrote initially aimed at millennials? It was and what was really interesting, so the tagline
1: on the book originally was Love Out Loud and Millennials and Millennials was in brackets so we didn't really make it exclusive but it was um, targeted at Guide to Enlightenment. But as the book um, started to sell and then the book grew into a movement with a range of different other offerings and, and ways of engaging communities, what we started to notice is it's just not like a traditional brand or business that can be targeted to one specific person because the message really is just so universal and the the demographic that we were attracting not just to, to buy the book and to read the book but to all of our events and everything more was there was really no consistency other than these were the people that had identified I don't want to live in fear anymore I want more meaning in my life and there wasn't just one demographic that would fit into that so we changed it to just a guide to enlightenment which is now the tagline of the book
0: that is awesome and so there are also retreats and workshops what are the other components of this movement
1: we're launching some pretty exciting things into 2020 so engaging influencers and celebrities and ambassadors and launching a a full suite of uh, merchandise which will become its own brand which I'm pretty excited about. We're wanting to make Love Out Loud something that's really accessible to everyone, to a mainstream audience. I think it's time that, you know, this message of love and kindness became cool, became, you know, uh, something that people truly want to stand by and and decide. And, yeah, all of our thinking is around how do we minimise the barriers? How do we minimise the barriers for men? How do we minimise the barriers for teenagers? How do we minimise... Um, any of those biases or judgments, which is really interesting thinking growing a movement because in a way it's counterintuitive to how you're taught to grow a business, which is what's your niche, you know, b- become more niche. What I found is the message is so powerful and people really do get it when they're exposed to, to anything that we do. Um, people do understand because it's speaking to something that's already in them. It's just like a remembering for people The message speaks for itself and the vision speaks for itself even recently I've been trialing a new a new concept which I think is pretty innovative I've never really seen this be done before where rather than directly using our budget on marketing what I've started to do in my leadership is actually just tell the community directly these are our quarterly targets this is our revenue target This is how many spots we need to sell at our events around the world. And the reason I'm telling you this is because this is going to effectuate our greater vision to impact 4% of the global population. And because we're speaking directly and transparently to our community, the level of buy-in is second to none. It's so much, people are so ready for that type of leadership. And yet it so goes against everything that you learn, you know, in in traditional business and that's the power of it. And I want to see more companies and more movements operate like this because what it really indicates, I think, when you see a leader approach something like this or an organisation approach something like this is it will work but it will only work if there's integrity within the organisation and there's integrity within the leadership. And, yeah, I would love to become a sort of world-first example, my team and I, as people that have done this through pure transparency and honesty and actually leveraging community rather than manipulating
0: community. It is absolutely revolutionary. (laughs) And it goes (laughs) against everything, yeah, that you get taught and told about business. Um, But I think people are smarter than that As well and I think they're starting to wake up to exactly what you've said you know the loneliness Um, I work with people one-on-one or in group or class settings as well and something that drives me is seeing the impact and the effect of what the world has become And the effect on mental health. I'm also, I'm from New Zealand and we actually have one of the worst stats in the world. We have the highest rate of suicide, especially amongst males, uh, teenage males, especially of our indigenous population. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, more so than that, there is almost not a person that I come across that, like you said, doesn't fit into one of those stats that uh, hasn't experienced loneliness or isn't struggling with some aspect of mental health that hasn't been prescribed an antidepressant or that isn't struggling with what they think they should where they're not enough based on the perception that's created by Mm. what they're seeing in the world versus what they're feeling on the inside. Totally. And Talk to me more about getting to this critical mass point. How? What is that? How are you going to get there? What does it take to get to that yeah.
1: point? It takes a whole lot of faith. <laughs> it takes an everyday commitment to checking in with with my own capacity to believe. You know, and and I would go to woo woo with it because there is some hardline. There's a lot of hardline strategy around how we're going to approach. That target, but really a lot of it comes down to for me in my own thinking, I guess, around it is that anything really is possible. And when I was actually sharing this on a podcast just the other day, the way I see intention and focus is when you have a futuristic goal that you're working towards or an intention that you're working towards, the way I sort of experience it is imagine you're casting that intention out into the universe. And in that moment that you cast it and you commit to it, there becomes a tension point between where you are now, so your actual situation now, and this possibility. And what starts to happen when you dream in this really big way is you've got to walk a journey to actually broaden your capacity to be the container, to be the condition in order to actualize that vision. So what's going to start to happen is all of these things are going to be put in your way, these obstacles, these challenges. But rather than seeing them as a limitation, I really see them as um, this is what I need in order to grow. This is the level of resistance I need to grow in order for this vision to be actualized. And what it also starts to do is that intent to impact 350 million people by the end of next year. is such a powerful, ambitious, bold statement that... When I start to embody that now, which is really in my practice, like for me, the practice is that vision is already real. Right now, that vision is already real. I'm just waiting for time to catch up. So it's informing the way that I show up presently. It informs how I speak on stage. It informs how I choose what it is I value, the people I spend time with, what it is I invest in, really becoming the embodiment of it in every single way. And it's pretty incredible when you start to dare to speak at that level and dream at that level, when I get up on stage and I speak, of course, saying something like that is going to attract a different sort of person to come and connect with me afterwards. There's a different um, set of doors that are open for me and opportunities that are open for me. And what's so fascinating about taking on something like this and choosing to believe that it's possible and as a leader, I'm worthy of, of leading something like that is What it's made me realize is these opportunities, these profoundly powerful opportunities for collaboration, for growth are always right in front of us. But when we don't have the courage to actually speak into it, then it passes us by because you're not communicating clearly with the world. When you start communicating clearly with what it is you actually want, it's always there, always there. The opportunity, the pathway is always there. But what the universe needs from us is the courage to be able to step fully into that.
0: I couldn't agree more (laughs) and anything (laughs) is possible. And you know, the whole point actually one of the targets of this podcast was to bring together people that could help spread and inspire our listeners with that message of bringing those elements together, the element of, creating something that you have been intuitively led to create, uh, having a dream Mm -hmm. that might seem far out and too big and not only improbable, but maybe impossible. Whether it's Mm -hmm. something having a massive vision like you, or something just that just seems impossible to that individual based on their current situation and circumstance to where they want to go, you know, that leap might seem so big and so far away. But putting that work, putting that intuitive pull together with the practical aspects of creating systems, creating a business, creating success that works across all realities and consciousness, but Mm. realizing that it's not one or the other and it's realizing that it's not an either or, that actually there is a way to have both of those elements come together and create a really authentic and successful actually venture, whatever it is that you may be wanting to create. And having you on here talking about just how big your vision is for what you want to create and are creating. And every day that might begin with you just getting up and believing that it's possible and doing whatever it takes that you need to do that day to help bring that to actualization um, is probably what just a lot of people need to hear to help them realize that whatever it is that they're struggling with, is also possible.
1: Yeah. Well, we don't need to know the how, you know, this is the thing is the intelligence, the intelligence, divine intelligence is so much smarter than us. And I think we often get so complacent. We want to, we want to know exactly what our plan of attack is before we begin. And what the challenges are in that is we're forever going to be limited by our current um, level of knowledge. You know, did I know how to do did I know how to create this vision when I started Love Out Loud a year ago? Hell no. But in in trusting my heart and what my heart was truly desiring, which was impact through love at that at this level, to trusting that that was in me for a reason and that was in my heart for a reason. What the journey has done is started to inform me, inform my thinking. It started to draw in. I've created the space to draw in the right sort of people to collaborate with and the right opportunities to to start to knot out the how, and some of these experiences that I've had have just been so far beyond anything that I could have thought up. <laughs> it's just been so far beyond what my logical mind would have even probably believed was possible, the synchronicities and the magic that sort of guided me along the path, to me, is how reality really does work. When we know the why and the what has a way of, of happening, Um, we don't always need to control the how. And I think actually we can become very debilitated
0: in trying to control the how. I 100% agree with that. Where are you at in terms of with the number of people? Do you track your stats? Do you know where you're at in terms of reaching that 350 million people?
1: We do track our stats, but the way that we're going to get to this number won't necessarily be you know 350 million people for example that go through our retreats it's a hell of a lot of retreats but a lot of it will be um and already has been through our partnership with really big communities communities like mind valley a couple of communities that are based out of the states that we've um, had some awesome collaborations with it's through it's through that partnership that we can have hugely collective impact and what it is we're bringing is something that we have value as an, as an organisation, as a movement, as non-competition. So we're only ever here to enhance and to bring our methodology and our way of um, viewing a philosophy of life and, and business to our collaborators and our partners in a way that's completely non-threatening to them. And that allows us to scale in, in really significant ways as well as working with the right sort of influencers um, and documentarians, I I know that that will be a really big part of how this message continues to spread as well. Mm. But it's taken a lot of divergent thinking. Like it's not at no point have we been able to find success in thinking, all right, how are we going to get 4% of the global population directly through our retreats? it requires a, a much different approach. You know, one other thing that I would love to see happen is a love out loud <clears throat> emoji on every Apple and Android so that it actually becomes a, a feel, you know, a feeling that people are expressing. Oh, that's that's what it feels like to love out loud. That's what, you know, love in action actually feels like and to begin expressing to each other from that place so it's these sort of ideas, incepting the collective consciousness that is truly what will get us to our target of four percent, rather than thinking it at it about
0: it in a in a linear way. You've hit the nail on the head with that because it's you actually can't get there in a linear way, can you? You can't no. you can't think yourself there, and that's what business whispering is all about and this podcast is all about, is Following those whispers and that guidance, and if you show up and you show up authentically and intuitively, the how will be filled in as long as you're showing up and willing to listen to your heart rather than your mind all of the time. And on the flip side of that, though, is also not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There is actually a real requirement for the systems and the procedures as you grow in a business or in an organization to have processes that help you uh, have seamless integration into your growth, isn't there? Mm, Can you just re ask that question? Sure. So the other interesting aspect of this though is in creating a conscious business and a business where you're listening to the intuitive whispers it's also not about throwing out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to systems and processes. They are often mm. critical when it comes to scaling your business at a large scale, isn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like the the strategy that we have implemented, you know, it's, it's been a beautiful, you alluded to it before, marriage between high level dreaming and thinking and the intuitive pull of what, you know, my heart's known has been possible with actually putting that into a framework and a structure in order for it to materialize. And that's something that my um, business partner who is Love Out Loud's initial investor has been incredible at, at guiding as well and helping facilitate me in that as I guess a visionary and somewhat of a creative, having a soundboard to be able to come back to, you know, every quarter and evaluate and be like, okay, what are our targets and what what is the strategy around this? And I think the other side of that is actually culture. So it's very important for us to grow a love-based movement that everyone involved is resonating at a frequency of love. Otherwise, it's not going to grow. It's just sort of the nature. Like the the nature of the movement demands integrity in a lot of ways. So we've really had to think in quite a revolutionary way around how to build culture that cultivates love, you know, and cultivates expansion and growth and draws in entrepreneurs and people that would otherwise work autonomously because that's truly important for our growth as well. How do you motivate an entrepreneur to come and work with you rather than go and create their own thing? So all of these questions have been massively, it's been so fun for me as an entrepreneur to ponder these questions and to come up with solutions that are actually working and and achieving some of these um, very ambitious targets that was had to draw particular talent and skill sets to work with us and to have it be something that allows us to rise together rather than continually work in silos. I've really loved that process. And it's also made me really acutely aware of just how how many people in the world have had a career that has been built on feeling unsafe and feeling like they can't actually speak their truth. And a lot of my team in the beginning, you know, it's like we, we adopt them into our culture in our family and there's like a sense of surely there's a couch, you know, surely Mm -hmm. this is this is just too good to be true. And the patterns of avoiding, you know, me for instance, or one of the managers, because that's their prior relationship to authority, like all of that has been so prevalent. So I've really had to think as an organizational leader, how do we create a culture which just literally combats that? and nips it in the bud and shows people, no, you're safe. Like, it's okay to speak your truth. We're in this together. We will find a solution, but you need to feel comfortable actually bringing everything to the table so that we can find solutions in a really clear and innovative way together has been really interesting. It's been a really interesting process.
0: And what do people experience on your retreats? Well, you have to come to one. (laughs) Our retreat's
1: very magical. It's a rite of passage would be the best way of of expressing or explaining what it's like. It's a real initiation. A lot of participants will say they feel like they died and were reborn. (laughs) And that's intentional. That's a very intentional process that we've designed to take people through that, I think, I know through my work in mental health that a lot of people have had very traumatic experiences that have been their version of rites of passage. And part of my intention for the spaces we create, whether that be our training or retreat, is to give people an experience of actually, this is what it can feel like when you go through a rite of passage or a transitional moment in your life and be held with complete support, complete trust, complete acceptance, total love, and full permission to actually choose whatever you want for yourself on the other side of that death of identity and the liberation that comes from that you know is probably equal to the amount of resistance that people experience when they first step into the space but by the end of the
0: retreat I would say the word would be just elation and how can people love out loud a little bit more each day for our listeners
1: that's a cool question
0: I would say in order
1: to love out loud, you first must become aware of where fears at the moment contaminating your ability to love out loud. So the philosophy of love out loud in a nutshell is you are love. There's a, there's a divinity in you, in every single one of us that's so lovable and is love. And loving out loud is the ability to just tap into that and then get through and past all of the barriers that are preventing you from expressing that love to the world, expressing who you are truly to the world. And what prevents us from this is our judgments, our biases, our insecurities, um, our fears. Love Out Loud breaks these things down in a way that it becomes easier to identify where, where fear is ruling your life and where love, um, and what love actually feels like and what the path of life, uh, of love looks like for you as an individual. It simplifies it. You know, I think a lot of personal development has so many different elements and it can become, I found, in my journey through development, a little bit convoluted and, and confusing, whereas Love Out Loud breaks it down into in each moment, are you choosing love or are you choosing fear? If you're choosing fear, it's going to feel judgmental. It's going to feel separate. It's going to feel restrictive. It's going to um, limit your ability to be creative and to be imaginative. And they're actually symptoms of fear. So become familiar, like how do we know when we have a cold? We know because we understand the symptoms, right? I want people to have that same awareness when it comes to fear-based thinking, fear-based behavior, as well as love-based thinking and love-based behavior, like having the awareness, What? Is, what is, how do I think? How is my psychology affected when I'm in a state of love? What kind of emotions am I feeling? What's the felt sense? You know, like what am I feeling in my body physically? When you become aware of these symptoms, of these vibrations, love or fear, it becomes a lot easier day-to-day to to start making choices from a place of love, which is a naturally abundant state to exist. Mm
0: -hmm. Your life
1: will only ever be moving in the right direction when you start to become aware of that.
0: I love that. And I'm just thinking about, you know, imagine if people made all their choices from that Mm. space. And, you know, even for business owners and entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast, um, it it's something I see happen all the time is people will look at self-development and self-help and even consciousness and they'll apply it to areas of their life and then when it comes to business or money entrepreneurship things get a bit too serious things they feel like there's too much at stake Mm. and it's really easy to fall back into that fear-based thinking making choices from a space of lack making choices from fear making choices from um, that place of what if rather than coming from that space of love so true yeah so so true if only
1: people understood just how abundant life can be when you step out of fear like you know the the really cliche saying the only thing to fear is fear itself it's Mm. just so much more true than what people realize because as soon as you step into that fear it dissipates you grow you've expanded you've become bigger than the fear the i actually use an example that people tend to really connect with because I guess it's quite visceral and it's a metaphor that you can sort of conceptualize. And it was the story of when I first bungee jumped in in Costa Rica. I won't go into the full story because it's quite a long story. But the moment, I'm also terrified of heights, or I was terrified of heights (laughs) until I conquered the fear. But it was one of my biggest phobias. And I was in this bungee jump. It was a third world version of a bungee jump, pretty gnarly. (laughs) and there was a few steps between me and the edge and it was a 700 meter drop down between two valleys and the way that you got onto the bungee jump was they pull you into the middle of the valley so you're essentially like 300 meters from from any land uh strung together on a platform which you then jump off and I was just like completely (laughs) just in a total state of fear it was I'm, beyond sure, the fight or I'm flight terrified response. listening to you right now. So. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly how you would expect it to feel, not that anything can prepare you for that level of fear. But there I was, you know, 10 steps away from this jump, sort of trying to coach myself to get closer and closer to the edge. And unlike, say, skydiving, where you have someone who's tandem with you, you actually have to take the jump. <laughs> it's only you that can propel yourself to do it. And I took a step, a step, a step, and I was so afraid. And then I got about three steps away from the edge. When I was three steps away from the edge, I started to become aware, thank God for my meditation and mindfulness practice, of my thoughts. And how in that moment, my thoughts were, were literally looking for every single reason to not jump. You know, that, that's what the fear was was telling me. And what I started to notice was the longer I stood, in that space, right before the jump, the louder and louder those thoughts got and the more and more I felt physically, mentally, emotionally debilitated. And I realized something very powerful. I could have stood there listening to those thoughts get louder and louder, the hesitation gets stronger and stronger for another five minutes, for another half an hour, for another day, for another year. I could have stood there for decades and it was never gonna get easier. That jump was never gonna get easier. It was actually gonna get harder because that's the nature of shit. It becomes a prison, it becomes a trap. And when I realized that, it was the most liberating epiphany because I realized the sooner I do this, the less scary it's gonna be. And when I jumped, I immediately felt complete liberation. As soon as I jumped, as soon as I was off that platform. And the ultimate realisation around fear that this experience taught me was so many people, and I've seen it in my work, spend their whole life on the edge of that bungee jump, Mm. thinking that they're saving themselves, right? This is the ironic thing. Mm -hmm. They think by standing on the edge, they're saving themselves from the scariest bit. But the brutal irony of this relationship with fear is you actually hold yourself in the scariest bit in an attempt to protect yourself. And when I realized that, my whole
0: relationship with fear transformed. That's profound, that's amazing. For me as well, when I talk to people, talk to clients, whatever it is, talk to groups even, the pain, almost similar to the pain that you're describing of them holding themselves on that ledge and not allowing themselves to take that step it can Mm. often result in a life that's more painful than if they actually did the thing. In fact, it's it's often only when you get to that point where the pain of staying in the situation you are in is greater than the pain of potentially failing that many of us take that leap. But it's not required to get to that point either, is it?
1: No, no. The thing is you can become fluid like the more you understand the nature of fear the more you become bigger than fear and then you become fluid in your in your decision making as soon as you feel fear rather than it being something that debilitates you it becomes something that propels you mm. and when you start to have that relationship with fear anything becomes possible because you all of a sudden you lean into everything rather than tapping out and when you when you say yes the world says yes to you other people say yes to you the universe says yes to you. It's just how it works.
0: I love it. Is it interesting and um, creating a business or a movement this large consciously in collaboration with all of the elements that you know it must include and involve, including other people, including the planet, including the energies of the world? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a big task,
1: (laughs) but it begins, no matter how impossible something seems for myself and the team, we have to begin with however difficult this might seem, it's possible. And unless we begin every conversation, every decision with that mindset, it is going to be a thousand times more difficult, right? Just believing that it's possible and being like devoted to the um, understanding that it's all possible, even if we're completely pioneering something that's never been done before in partnership, in different products or whatever that we're doing. All of a sudden, the focus is, is in the right direction. And this is what I've learned about leadership, leadership of your own life and also leadership of a team. 99% of the work's in the focus. Mm. If you have a team looking in the same direction, you will find answers. Like, uh, have we been able to, we're launching a new product line um, for merchandising really soon in the next month. And, you know, just that as one component of what we're doing, finding an ethical company with ethical fabrics at a competitive cost so that we, you know, didn't have to um, increase our retail price for our consumer, it's pretty challenging. It's quite a challenging thing to do, especially the quantity that this particular order is for this design yet because we approached and this is just one basic example it with this sort of thinking that meant that the team were having a different sort of conversation with providers with suppliers with with community and these solutions become almost immediately immediate and effortless because the communication is clear you know and it might not be in again that linear we're going to find a provider that um just does this for cheaper it could become more divergent, like asking a supplier that's passionate about what we're doing to, say, have a profit share in what it is we're creating or to subsidize part of the cost to send his staff to our retreat. These are just basic examples once again. But when you think outside the box and you believe that it's possible and you have a solid focus and you're, you're relentless in that focus, you're not willing to negotiate on that focus, and then you have a whole team of people who are equally committed to
0: that, these solutions become easier and easier and easier. And, you know, coming from that space of being in that question, but you've already had that initial premise that it is possible. So you're not wasting any time or energy in, you know, where most people will often get stuck right at that beginning of, is this even possible? I'm wasting my time. I'm setting myself up for failure. That you, you override all of that stuff and you go straight to the question and being in question of the possibility. Exactly. Most people spend
1: 99% of their time, as I said, in the hesitation. Mm. Even, you know, change. Like Mm. people think that it took 10 years to change. It took a moment to change. It took 10 years to choose it. Yeah.
0: Tell me, um, when you're innovating, when you're coming up with new ideas, when you're moving in, moving forward or moving in different directions, is it quite an intuitive process for you? Yeah, it definitely was in the beginning.
1: This is an interesting question. I would say in the beginning it was almost entirely intuitive and what I've learned through the journey has been um, ha- I've discovered – you know, how to name this intuition and, and what this actually speaks to in my awareness. So it's just like you can be aware of something, right? Something can be in your awareness, but you don't have an ability to describe it or name it or, you know, have a conversation about it that's still there. And everything about this vision for me has always been in my awareness. I think back to concepts, like I found drawings, literally, that I did when I was three years old and it is speaking about like the importance of connecting to each other in love and that I wanted everyone to be to be happy and, and for the world to be connected. Like these were drawings that I was drawing at three years old. You know, this was always, always been in my awareness. And the process for me has been actually understanding my own awareness, naming my own awareness, being able to articulate my own awareness. And I think that this is the distinction between any great, artist or leader, anyone prolific, any personality that's been iconic in the world, really the only difference or the major difference is not what they were predispositioned for, it's their ability to have learned how to articulate themselves. That's it. And it's not necessarily in words. You can articulate yourself in so many different ways, movement, paint, you know, etc. I could name different variations of how to express and articulate yourself but bringing voice in whatever way that means for you to what is in your awareness and this is why self-awareness is so powerful you know you already know Mm. all the things that you you think you need to learn or seek from outside of you and I'm passionate about creating spaces where people become aware of this. The first thing I do walking into any space as a speaker or facilitator is I take myself off the pedestal. It's so important for people to realize that whatever they're perceiving in another human being, they are the perceiver. They're the common denominator. No one's giving them anything. It's just triggering what's already inside of them. And when you understand this in your own awareness, you become naturally more articulate because there's a sense of ownership rather than it being that person's so great, I'm not as great as them. It's, I'm perceiving that greatness. I'm perceiving something that's already within me. And from there, you elevate at such a rapid rate in, in comparison to, yeah, I think where a lot of people stand in that, which is not really committing to that self ownership and the self responsibility that everything I experience in my reality is my responsibility. Everything.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with everything you've said more. It's actually, um... Same words, different titles, Uh, the body whispering classes that I facilitate, it's around the fact that within you and within your body and how you interact in the world, you have all the answers, you have the awareness Mm -hmm. of everything. How can you interpret those whispers that you already have access to into knowing and claiming and owning your knowing and actually living it out loud. So yes, exactly. it's very aligned. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Awesome.
1: Oh,
0: it's it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Nicole. Is there anything else you'd like to add? What's what's in store for you and for Love Out Loud in 2020? What's coming up?
1: Uh, um, well I I guess the first protocol would be to join our facebook community if you search love out louders and uh, louders is spelled l-o-u-d-e-r-s that's a really great way to keep up to date with everything that we have coming up or our website which is love-outloud.com i also am always promoting things on my own socials just under my name or nick gibson underscore on instagram we have some pretty epic retreats in the first six months one of them's actually in new zealand in nelson so if you have a kiwi audience please check out Our retreat in in Nelson, it's the first time we're taking a Love Out Loud retreat to NZ, so we're pretty excited about that. Some awesome retreats in Bali and back in Australia trainings um, for facilitators. So part of what we do is train facilitators in our methodology and they become licensees of our brand. So they go and start their own businesses and bring Love Out Loud into the world in in a way that's unique to them, but they align themselves with the, the broader movement. It's a pretty powerful thing to be able to hit scale i'm actually so proud as i continue to see the facilitators do the work that they do around the world some do missionary work someone um, one of the facilitators is organizing a trek through the himalayas um, you know community events musicians that bring the love out loud methodology methodology and message into the music they're creating so it's super diverse. If that's something you're interested in, we have a training in Bali in April and on the Gold Coast in January. And we're confirming whether or not we're going to run a training in New Zealand based on demand after the retreat at the end of April. And then Europe um, and the States in the second half of next year as well.
0: That's amazing. So no matter where you are in the world, you can access and find out more and get along, hopefully, to some of the Love Out Loud events or connect in with facilitators We are going to put links to everything you've mentioned just below in the show notes. So click on that, connect on social media. Um, Thank you so much for your time today, Nicole. And um, we're so excited you're coming to New Zealand. I hope to see you soon. Yeah, likewise. And that wraps up another episode of the business whisperer podcast thank you so much for being here your support means the world to me please remember if you enjoyed this episode do me a favor and leave us a five-star review so that other people can find these episodes and get some value out of it. If there is a guest that you would like us to interview on the show, please send me a message or send me an email to thebusinesswhispererpodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to see you soon.